Well, Marshall Shelley was a former editor of a, of a, a periodical I used to get called Leadership Magazine. And, and he always told the story of a pastor friend of his who went into a new town and, and he attended the local uh, ministerium, the group where pastors get together for lunch and different things. He was a new guy in town, so they asked him to pray. They asked him to give the invocation, and uh, he, uh, he did. He obliged. Concluding his prayer as he prayed, and he was concluding his prayer, he, he, meant, he meant to say, and Lord, give us continued good success. But uh, he messed up a little bit. In, in his, um, his best pastoral praying voice, it came out, and Lord, give us continued good sex. The room froze. He froze, not knowing what to say next. And finally, one of the guys from the back of the room called out a hearty, amen. He said, they asked me to pray quite often after that. <clears throat> we all want good sex, right? Oh, so now you're bashful. <laughs> this isn't a sermon on money. Just relax, all right? If you're a teenager, I know you do. We've been there. With the hormones exploding in your body, it's something you dream about all the time. And you want to do it right, and you went away to God, and we want to talk over the next weeks about why, not just don't, but Why? You wait on this great gift that God has given. If you are a young adult, I know you do. You desire a relationship, or you're in a relationship, or you're thinking about that next step of a relationship, and everyone around you is doing it, and you're trying to do things God's way. If you're married, I know you do that powerful gift that God has given that uh, allows us to say, I do, over and over and over, right? You want that relationship to be healthy and good. We all want good sex. Not because it's a bad thing. Because it's a great thing. Sex is God's idea. It is God's design. He created man and woman physically different for physical oneness. Don't think for one second that Adam and Eve appeared from behind the bushes one day all blushed and breathless and said, whew, God, guess what we just discovered? I thought you would think that was a little more funny than, than you did. <laughs> All God's idea from the very beginning. Pleasurable, sex was made to be pleasurable for deep intimacy and to bring those little people, those little infant people into the world. But then as we talk about often here, after Genesis 2 comes what? Every time, every doggone time, right? And this great gift of sex, this great gift of sex now is in the hands 
of sin-infected hearts. Kind of like putting a a chainsaw in the hands of a three-year-old. Sex is still just as powerful, just as pleasurable. God did not rewire us. But now, this gift, this great gift, this beautiful gift, is, um, is perverted and abused and exploited and manipulated and forced and withheld and feared and confusing. And that's just in the church. It is even crazier for those who hold to naturalism and say there is no God or postmodernism and say I'll make the rules as I go along or moral therapeutic deism that says, you know, it's just whatever makes me happy. From Genesis 3 until this very day, human beings have lived sexually charged and sexually confused. I want to make clear we understand that sexually speaking is no different today than it was 7,000 B.C. when Job, one of the first books of the Bible, Job, a contemporary with all the patriarchs that we've been reading about in Genesis. When Job wrote these words in Job 31, verse 1, this is from the NIV. I like the way the NIV says it. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to do what? Look lustfully at a woman. Look lustfully at a girl. The word's virgin. Now, why would he say that? Inherent in a statement is the reason behind the statement, right? Why would he say that? Because it's a struggle. Because he was struggling. Why would you need to make a covenant with your eyes if your eyes weren't doing something that you didn't want them to do? So this is not a new issue. Let's make sure we understand this as we go through these next weeks. Number one, here's the question. Do... Men and women, regardless of age or stage, do men and women struggle in this area of sexuality? And the answer is yes. The question we want to deal with is, how do we handle that? What do we do with that? We have this beautiful gift that God has given us. It's not a bad word, guys. The reason this is so tense in the room right now is because this beautiful gift God has given us, it's been perverted by those around us, right? And even our sinful hearts. So we want to see how do we handle this thing? What, what, do we, what do we do with it? That's what we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. Next time, some more practical things that we can do as Paul tells us to flee uh, sexual immorality. And then in chapter 7, we're going to look at sexuality within a marriage. What I want to do today is just set the context Set the platform. Let's just set the table for what we need to deal with and talk about and work through regarding sexuality. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. As you're turning there, let me just set the context. You remember, 
Paul um, led, went into Corinth on his second missionary journey, led people to Christ and was there 18 months. He discipled people. He uh, taught them the foundational truths of the Christian faith. He was there for 18 months and then he, he left and now he's on his third missionary journey. He's in Ephesus and, and a, a group from Corinth comes and tells him, man, there are some things going on in Corinth you have to deal with. Paul, you have to address these things and one of the things was sex. Sexuality dresses it throughout the book. To be sure, the Corinthians liked, yeah, they loved their sex. When you go to Corinth, uh, you can stand down in the city and there's this mountain uh, on the side and uh, that's where the temple of Aphrodite used to be with all the temple prostitutes. And, and they say that uh, during the Isthmus Games, that like the Olympic Games, or when uh, ships came into the two seaports there, you could see um, a, a line snaking its way down the mountain of prostitutes coming to service the sailors or anyone else they met along the way who wanted their services. So, so moms and dads, let me ask you a question. What would you do if you're walking your kids to the bus? And you see that big line and your kids say, hey, why are all those women coming down? How would you answer? The city of Corinth was so well known for immorality, the, the word Corinth became a verb and to Corinthicize meant sexual immorality. To Corinthicize was a word that meant to be engaged in sexual immorality. One guy wrote this, uh, Paul Crystal, uh, in bed with the Romans, he writes about the sexual culture of Romans. Just listen to this. Sex for most Romans was undoubtedly gratifying, but it was also a duty. Largely speaking, it was probably more gratifying for men and more of a duty for their women. Notice the plural, their women, not their wife, but their women. Men delighted in displaying their manhood and sexual proudness, while women obliged by submitting uh, to serial childbirth, the production line of babies, ideally boys, to maintain the family line and keep the battlefield and farmland stocked with recruits. Baby girls, on the other hand, were costly and contributed little or nothing to the family income. Moreover, they would require an expensive dowry one day. And so in Roman culture, what they did with little baby girls is they put them out in the fields to die. Baby farmers would go get those baby girls before they died, bring them in, raise them as prostitutes or sex slaves. And the church said, can't do that. So early in the church, they would go out to those fields and get those little girls and bring them in to safety and raise them in families that love God and love life. Crystal goes on to say, brothels, prostitutes, and dancing girls were considered fair game, as were older males, with one crucial proviso that you were the one who did the penetrating. Being passive and being penetrated was considered woman's work. Men who submitted were considered deficient. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in around 55 AD. We don't know for sure, but around 55 AD. 54 AD, Nero came to the throne, one of the Roman Empire, uh, emperors. He was 16 years old when he came to the throne. He ruled for 14 years. So he's about 17 years old when Paul's writing this letter, and the whole Roman Empire would have known about the sexual exploits of Nero with women and men 
and children. It was known that Nero was with men. In fact, he married two males. One was a little boy named Sporus. Don't know why he uh, married Sporus. There are two different accounts. One account says that he married Sporus to replace a teenage concubine that uh, had been killed. Another account says that uh, Nero uh, killed his wife. He kicked her to death. And he married Sporus because Sporus looked like his wife and would have him dress up like his wife. He had a public ceremony. A friend gave the bride away, which was the custom of the law. And that ceremony was celebrated throughout the Roman Empire. So at some point, the Corinthians would have celebrated Nero's marriage to this boy, Sporus. The cultural permissiveness and, and promiscuity was the norm in Corinth. And that same culture had infiltrated the church. Man, aren't you glad that doesn't happen today? Look at chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated by the pagans, a man has his father's wife. This phrase Paul uses, it is actually reported, means that this is well known. There's no secret in this. Inside and outside the church, everybody knows that there's this man who is having sex with his stepmother. That was not only not tolerated among the pagans, but that was not tolerated among believers in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 8, we are told, as you've been reading through Scripture, you saw this, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. Uncover the nakedness is a Hebrew euphemism for sexual intimacy. We don't know if this father was, uh, had died. We don't know uh, if the father had divorced the stepmother. Uh, we don't know if they were still together. But whatever the situation, Paul says, this is wrong. And it's widely known, and you got to do something about it. That's that, that is the issue in this chapter. What the guy's sin is terrible, and the guy's going to be put out of the church, we'll see. But Paul's big issue in this is you are the leaders of the church, you're the parents of the church, you're the men and women of the church, and you're not doing one blasted thing about this obvious sin that is right in the middle of your congregation. Look what he says in verse 2. It's reported, it is widely known that this is happening in the church. A man is having sex with his stepmother. Look at verse 2. And you are arrogant. You're not doing anything about it. You're not taking steps with it. You're not dealing with it. Ought you not to mourn? This is not what we do in the church. This is not what believers do in their lives. Be proud of the sin that they have. When you see a believer proud of their sin, you know you've got a big problem. 
And Paul says, you got to deal with it. You can't put your head in the sand. Let him who has done this be removed from you. And look at verse 4. Paul says, when you are assembled in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to, to deliver you are to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You're to discipline this guy. In that day, it meant putting him out of the church. In our day, it's no big deal. Well, first of all, most churches don't do any discipline. But secondly, it's no big deal because you just go down the, down the end of the block and join another church. But in that day, it was a big deal. You're, be, you're being put out of the community. You're being put out of the safety. You're being delivered over to Satan's realm, Paul says here. Satan is the, uh, the, the prince of the age, the ruler of this world. And you're being delivered. And, and, and Paul is saying it would be better for him to die as a Christian because of his sin and then go to heaven than to continue what he's doing and influence and let his sin permeate the entire church. So Paul says, you got you to deal with it. Was this man a believer? I don't know. But Paul's saying, if he is a believer and he's out of the church and he's in Satan's realm, he's in enemy territory, he's in a foreign land, and he, and he will come to his senses, repent, and stop doing what he's doing, and then reenter into community. Discipline is always for, for restoration. Paul then uses an example from the Old Testament. He says in verse 6, again, your boasting is not good. You're letting this happen before your eyes. And you're not doing a thing about it. Your boasting is not good. Do you, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So what's Paul saying there? In the Old Testament, when the Passover was getting ready to be celebrated, they would go in and they would, they would clean their homes from top to bottom, clean their homes of all the yeast in their houses so that when they made the Passover bread, it would be unleavened, wouldn't have any yeast in it. If you travel to Israel, we stay at um, uh, some hotels uh, and, and sometimes we can't get in the cafeteria because they are cleaning the cafeteria for Passover. They want to get all the yeast out of there. And so Paul's saying in the same way, church, if you allow sin to fester, it's in our lives too, right? If we allow a little sin to fester in our life, it contaminates our whole life. When we allow a little sin to fester in our family, it contaminates the whole family. When we allow a little sin to fester in the church, it contaminates the whole church. And Paul says, man, we're not in the Old Testament having to celebrate the Passover like that, but Jesus, our Passover lamb, he has been sacrificed. We follow him now. We're pleasing him. We're worshiping him. His, his praise shall ever be on our lips, right? But you can't praise him if you are ignoring sin in your life and sin in your midst. Look at verse 9. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. We don't know what letter that was. There was a letter before uh, the letter we have recorded in Scripture. 
We wrote to you not to associate with sexually more people, but in that letter, the, 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 the Corinthians misunderstood what Paul meant. So he, he's explaining it now. He says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. Paul said, don't uh, associate with sexually immoral. And the Corinthians said, oh, okay, all the sexually immoral in the world. And Paul said, no, you can't, you can't, you can't escape the world. Paul says, I'm talking about, look at verse 9, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother, a man or woman who says, I'm a believer, but continues to live in sin. If he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or adulterer or reviler, drunkard, swindler, don't even eat with such a person. Let them know that we don't do those things here. What are I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not that those inside the church whom we are to judge, God judges those outside, and then he closes, purge the evil person among you. There's a lot in that chapter, and certainly it deals with uh, discipline. There are a lot of other uh, passages that go along with that that, that that give us the process for, for, uh, for serious and courageous and um, caring, uh, compassionate, discipline for someone who just who, who lives a life of sin in the church. Again, Paul's saying, you, you can't let that happen. But here's, here's the big point I want to bring out. Paul's talking to leaders, talking to those in the church, talking to parents, and he's saying, is your head in the sand? This is happening before your eyes. This is like yeast in the lump. It permeates the whole thing, and you are acting like you're proud of it. You're not even dealing with it. Your, your, your failing to deal with it is an act of pride. So Paul says we've got to do something about it. When we talk next time, we'll talk about some more practical things and we'll talk about marriage today. Let me just, uh, let, me, let me set the table, right? What are, what are we up against? What, what are those things we need to see? What would be the things that Paul would tell us? Are you arrogant about these things and you're acting like they don't exist? Toria was only 13 years old when she got her cell phone and her Tumblr account. She used to post funny pictures and videos to her friends, but the pornography was inescapable. Each time she opened the act, there was a quick uh, gif or, or video showing breasts or genitals or acts of sex. Tori's 19 years old now, and here's what she says. It's like you weren't even watching porn. You're watching three seconds of it on a loop and trying to scroll past it as fast as you could. I learned those really negative ideas or unhealthy ideals of sex very young. I wasn't old enough to like actually comprehend them, but I was internalizing them. And that's the world we're in, right? Today, you don't have to go passively uh, to see things scroll on your screen. There are many sites, one uh, porn site that's the porn hub that allows you to go to other sites gets four, 40 million clicks every day. 
with devastating effects. And you don't even have to go to porn sites. You can just watch sexual violence on HBO's Euphoria, high school-based show that our high school kids are watching. Or movies and books like Fifty Shades of Grey that's said to be pornography for women. Or countless profitable porn sites. And here's the deal. We're living in a... This has always been an issue, right? We get that. This has always been an issue. But now it's like in your face. It's it's, it's everywhere. Um, Anywhere we turn, this, this beautiful gift from God is being perverted. And here's the challenge in our day. The gift is being so perverted that the beautiful gift is becoming boring to a new generation. Today, sex is divided into two categories, vanilla and non-vanilla. In a December 2019 USA Today article, USA Today article a month ago, described non-vanilla sex, I'm quoting, spanking, anal sex, and choking. Now, I know when I said anal sex, some of you said, oh my gosh, why did you say that? It's the first time my child would have heard that. I can't even think about that. And I'm not going to talk to my kids about that because I know better with my family. So hide your, hide your head in the sand if you want. And you know what? You don't have to talk about it with your kids. Teen Vogue already has. Teen Vogue in December had an article about how to have enjoyable and safe anal sex. Now, they warn you not to go to YouTube because that would really be bad. But we'll tell you what it's like. You can also learn all the creative ways of masturbation in that same December edition. So you don't have to tell your kids. They're going to hear it or see it. Choking is, again, when, when it's in front of you all the time and then when pornography becomes pervasive and people are doing things they shouldn't do, then, then vanilla sex, right, it's just not, it's not cool enough any longer. So there's choking. Choking is pressing on a neck, usually a guy on a girl, causing lightheadedness or dizziness when, when it you release, the oxygen comes back, intensifying the orgasm, or so it's said. Does anyone really do that? Well, according to a soon-to-be-published research, one-third of women 18 to 23 have experienced choking during sex. You may have read about it in another light because there have been several women die. One 19-year-old man said, it's like an adventure, you know. You don't know what's going to happen. That's part of the thrill of choking. He's right. You don't know what's going to happen. A lot of people die. Because it is so out 
in our face all the time for us and our kids. 2017 study revealed sexual habits between 18 and 24-year-olds, 40% said that rough sex was appealing. Again, vanilla is just, just not, not enough anymore. When, 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 that, when that's pouring in your mind all the time, the norm can't be the norm, right? One young woman whose Twitter account, she started at 14, she wrote this, pressure comes from, our, from a culture that you see on Twitter of people making fun of other people having vanilla sex. That kind of makes you feel like you have to explore something else, something that isn't just missionary sex. You carry that ex- expectation with you when you're hooking up with someone for the, for the first time. Another researcher out of Indiana uh, University said that you don't even have to go to pornography anymore. It's on cable TV. A 2018 article in, in The Atlantic agreed with that researcher. This article said, the phrase, if something exists, there's porn for it, used to be a clever internet meme. Now it's a truism. BDSM plays at the local multiplex. Fifty Shades of Grey, that was what that movie was about. But why bother going? Sex is portrayed graphically, often gorgeously, on primetime TV. Sexting is, statistically speaking, normal. So when I read BDSM, I kind of knew what the SM stood for, but I didn't know what the BD stood for, so I googled the definition of BDSM. I said in the Saturday service, I googled BDSM. I googled the definition of it, all right? (laughs) And I thought, I got to be careful here where I go next, but I didn't have to look long because GQ magazine had an A to Z guide for bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, sadism, and masochism, the core pillars of kinky or non-vanilla sex. I was on that site for 30 seconds and a pop-up showed up on my screen. You know what it was for? An app, a website, one of two I learned later, that you could go to to find someone to have sex with within the hour. Casual sex within the hour. I wasn't even looking for it. Popped right up. Sex is this great gift from God, right? We agree with that? But we live in a culture like everyone's always lived in a culture where, where it's perverted. And now it's in front of our kids in living in a, and us in living color. And when we see it over and over and over again, just the beautiful gift that God has given us, just it's too vanilla, right? So that's the reality that we're going to be talking about. That's the issue. That's the struggle. How do we, how do we lead ourselves and our kids? You know, when we talk about these things, it's always about our kids, right? No, it's about all of us. 
going through the process, admitting our struggles, and seeking God's help. So Lori and I got married when she was 19 and I was 22. I still can't believe her parents let that happen. And our kids can't believe it either. They say, Dad, what were you thinking? Mom, what were you thinking is what they really asked. It was pretty practical for me. I looked in the mirror and I looked at Lori and I said, the longer I wait, the less chance I have. I need to get this thing going. We've had a great life together. We have a great life together. Intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, Lori meets every need I've ever had, and physically. And I still have sexual temptations. They don't go away. This is, man, this is a fantastic tool. I can tweet out a scripture verse to you guys, right? And it's a dangerous device. You know that. Wives, the sexual temptations of men have nothing to do with you. It's the way they're wired. And we live in a day where it used to be just guys having a challenge with all this, but no more because it's been in our face and so the challenges with women are on the rise. And so we have to, we have to acknowledge that we have a challenge here, right? That we struggle. I met with a guy one time, uh, kind of a mentor for me, a spiritual mentor, and, and he sat behind his desk. I'll never forget the meeting. He sat behind his desk and he said, I, you know, I don't... I don't understand how these guys struggle with this stuff. I don't struggle with it. But bother me. How, how do these guys struggle with this stuff? And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, man, I'm a worm. And this guy was such a spiritual mentor for me. I, I honestly walked away from that. I'll never forget leaving his office and thinking, I don't even know if I'm fit for ministry. If, that, if, if that's the super spiritual leader... I don't think I can get there. Well, that guy's had two sexual falls that I know of. So let's just admit the struggle, right? When does it go away? I don't know. I talked to a guy who was 90. I said, like, when does it stop? And he said, sometime after 90. I'm not sure. Here's what we all know. Here's what I know. When I, when I try to battle it on my own, I lose every time. When I submit myself to the Spirit of God, we always win, don't we? So we can't do it on our own. And if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God living within you. And we can be person that God wants us to be and do the things God wants us and stop doing the things God doesn't want us to do. And it's always going to be a battle. But the Spirit of God gives us everything we need. He never calls us to do anything that he doesn't give us the strength to accomplish. Right? We're going to have the women come up at another time, but today I want to ask 
the men in this service to come up front and we're going to pray, all right? So if you're a man in the service, we invite you. You don't have to come. We invite you to come and pray. So make your way down. Don't dilly-dally. We don't have a lot of time. As you're coming, we're admitting two things. As we stand here, we're admitting we're in a battle, right? You guys agree? And we're admitting that we can't do this battle on our own, and, and we are pleading for God's help. If you guys will spread out a little bit. We may not be able to get all down here. Wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to kneel down, if you can. There'll be people to help you up when you get, when you get finished. <laughs> Getting down is the easy part, right? Let's pray together. Dear God, we bow before you. You are our heavenly father. And we can't even imagine how much you love us and how much you care for us. We know that you sent your son to pay for all our sin, even that sexual sin. Jesus died on a cross for that. And so, Father, we, uh, we confess our sins before you. We just take a moment to do that, Lord, within our heart. We've tried and failed on our own, and so now we are asking, Lord, that you help us submit to your spirit who lives within every believer and who promises to, to empower us to give us everything we need to do what you're calling us to do. Lord, we confess our battle. You wired us this way, and so it's not wrong to have temptation we know it's wrong to give in to it. And you always give us a way to escape. You promise that. You either give us the strength to, to not submit or a way out. And so we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that we would apply that in our lives. For every guy here, Lord, struggling with uh, an addiction of porn, we're we lift them before you, and I pray you would give them the courage to get the help they need to break that. Because as we'll see in later messages, that's destroying the relationship with you. It's causing deep loneliness in their life. And if they're married, it's playing havoc with this great gift that you've given. So, Lord, as they stand in a second, allow them to stand and say, I'm going to do something about this. Father, we are reminded often in our lives and here as we pray about this specifically, that we are totally dependent on you. And so, God, we are praying that you come through like you always do. As we submit to you, you give us everything we need to do what you're calling us to do. And we pray that in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said together, amen. amen.